You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, But What About John, is shared by Grow and Go Pastor Craig Mintz. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Scott and Brother Clark and choir and orchestra and tech team for leading us in worship today. It's been a good day already. All these baptisms and had a baby dedication in our last service. Pastor Dan will be back with us again next week, but it's my joy to break the bread of life with you today to bring God's word to you. So I want you to join me please in John, the gospel of John chapter 21, verse 18. We're going to look at the end of John, John chapter 21, verse 18. While you're turning there, I want to talk to you about a game that a lot of us play. It's the comparison game. We sometimes just get so preoccupied with comparing ourselves to someone else. We wonder how we stack up against them. We begin to wonder why their lives seem better than our lives or why they got what we feel like we deserve. We compare other people. We play these comparison games all over in every sphere of life. Uh, prognosticators, sports commentators spend way too many hours talking about who is the best at something. I bet I've read 37 articles on who's the greatest basketball player of all time. Is it Michael Jordan or is it LeBron James? And uh, of course, it's Michael Jordan. Yeah, that's the answer. But if you didn't know, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I'm not. It's Michael. Um, but, you know, we play these comparison games. We talk about uh, who's the best, but we also play these comparison games in our own lives. And it's not helpful. Uh, I just think about sometimes, like, it's graduation season. And we have students, high school students who are graduating who are thinking to themselves, well, why did, why did she get into her college of choice and I didn't? We've got college students graduating wondering why, he, why did he get his dream job and he's getting ready to marry his dream girl and here I am still searching for a job. Here I am, I don't even have a girlfriend, much less getting ready to marry someone. Why did they get that and I didn't? For those of us who are a little older in life, um, who are at a different stage of life, maybe we begin to compare ourselves financially or with our health. We look at the person in the next pew and wonder, why God, why do they seem to have it made while I struggle and work my fingers to the bone and live paycheck to paycheck? Why do they get to live a long and healthy and prosperous life while it seems like I spend half my time at the doctor's office? We play these comparison games and the bottom line is we feel like that somebody else got what we deserve and we, uh, it's a game that we never win. When we play the comparison game, it's a game that we always lose. And the problem is that as we give our attention to the people beside us and the people behind us, we take our attention away from the person in front of us and that is our risen Lord Jesus Christ. And in the passage we'll look at today, we'll see that this is not a uniquely modern problem, but it is a problem that believers have had throughout the centuries, even those who were there with Jesus while he walked here on this earth. 
Before we leave today, I hope that it will be settled in your mind that as you follow Jesus, you have a path to follow. You have a unique path for God, from God for you to follow. It's not my path. It's not the person's next to you's path. But as you follow Jesus, you have a unique path to follow. And if you continue to play the comparison game, you're going to miss out on that path. You're going to miss out on the best that God has in store for you. Well, let's look at what was happening in John chapter 21, verse 18, just uh, to let you know this is Jesus speaking to the apostle Peter on the Sea of Galilee. In verse 18, Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to put on your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will put your belt on you and bring you where you do not want to go. Now he said this, indicating by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back on his chest at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who is betraying you? So Peter, upon seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word today, that you would make our hearts tender and our ears open and uh, help us to be ready to receive the truth that will transform our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. When you read the Gospel of John, you discover that Jesus, of course, is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He lived an extraordinary life. He did many miracles, taught so much truth, the truth of God. And then in, God's, in John's Gospel, we read about how Peter denied Jesus three times. On the night that Jesus was arrested, uh, Peter denied that he even knew him three times, and then the rooster crowed. Of course, the next day, Jesus would die on the cross between two thieves for our sins. His blood would be shed there to wash away our sin. Praise God, Jesus would rise on the third day, and he would show himself to the women who had come to the tomb, and then he would appear to the men in the room where they were hiding. And now... It seems that Peter and some of the other disciples, not all of the remaining 11, but some of them decided to just go fishing, to go back to the vocation that Peter and James and uh, John and Andrew had all been doing when Christ had first called them. And they fished all night. They didn't catch anything. But in, in the morning, Jesus appears on the shore. And he calls out to them to drop the net, and they do, and they pull in this big catch of fish. And Peter, when he realizes it's Jesus, gets so excited, and he jumps out of the boat. He can't even, even wait for the boat to get to the shore. And when they all get there, Jesus is cooking breakfast. There on the fire, some fish and some bread, and he talks with them, and he shares breakfast with them. And then Jesus and Peter have that famous conversation Remember, Peter denied him three times, and so three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Of course, you know that I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. 
And it's in that exchange, those, do you love me? I love you. Feed my sheep. That Jesus restores Peter to the ministry that he's called him to. And now that Peter has this clear vision for what God wants him to do with the rest of his life, to feed the sheep, to preach the word, to share the gospel, Jesus gives him a pretty sobering picture of how that life will come to an end. He tells him, Peter, you're going to die one day after years of ministry. You're going to stretch out your hands. And Peter realizes, Peter hears something that all of us need to realize in here, and that is that discipleship comes with a cost. Discipleship comes with a cost. You see, when we follow Jesus, it will always cost us something. For Peter, it would cost him his life. His life would come to an end for the sake of Jesus' name. He would end up being crucified. But see, what Jesus had taught his disciples was that not only would they one day die for Jesus, but they were to die now, daily, to live a life of surrender, to take up their cross every day, and to let their lives be a living sacrifice for Jesus. And so as Jesus is walking with Peter there beside the Sea of Galilee, he helps Peter see that not only will your life be a life of sacrifice, but actually your life is going to come to an end one day in a way that you don't want it to. He uses the phrase, you will stretch out your hands. This was an ancient way of talking about crucifixion. Peter would be crucified just like his Lord we find out from church history that he indeed was crucified, and some say he was crucified upside down even because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord Jesus Christ. That's not as certain, but what we can be certain about is that Peter's life came to an end for the sake of the gospel on a Roman cross, just like Jesus did. Aren't you so thankful that Peter counted that cost? He knew what it would cost him to follow Jesus and he thought it was worth it. I'm so glad that Peter didn't hear what Jesus had to say that day and he just kind of stepped away and said, thanks Jesus, but no thanks. That sounds like a little much. I think I'm just gonna go back to fishing if that's how it's gonna be. Peter didn't say that, did he? He followed Jesus to the very end. He gave his life every single day. And he said, John says this is how Peter would glorify him in his death. You see, the way Peter was able to glorify Jesus in his death was because he glorified him in his life. And isn't that true for you and me? One day when we draw our last breath, whether it's today or 50 years from today, we'll glorify the Lord in our death because we glorified him in our lives. We lived our lives as a living sacrifice for Jesus. But that's how Peter's life would come to an end. He would live his life for the sake of the gospel, and then he would be crucified. I'm so thankful that Peter, Paul, the other disciples counted the cost of discipleship and they decided it was worth it. Friends, whatever we give up for the sake of Jesus' name pales in comparison to what we receive. Amen? Whatever we give up for the sake of Jesus' name cannot even begin to compare to what we receive in return. 
Now, don't get the wrong idea. We are saved by grace through faith, right? We cannot earn our salvation by living a certain kind of life. We are declared righteous. We are given eternal life by putting our faith in Jesus. But if we receive this gift of eternal life, we have to have empty hands ready to receive it. And if our hands are full of selfish ambition, if our hands are full of the desires of our flesh, if our hands are full of our own desires and pride, then they won't be empty to receive the life and the good things that God promises to those who put their faith in him. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever, lose, for whoever holds on to his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me will save it. What a paradox. What a wonderful paradox that is that the more we try to hold on to our own lives, we lose out on what God wants to give us. But when we take up our cross and we lose our lives for Jesus every day, we receive a life that only he could give us. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3.8. He said, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul had a lot to lose. He had power, wealth, prestige, notoriety. Paul, as a Jewish man and as a Pharisee, had everything you could want. He had risen to the top of the ladder. And then on that day, that fateful day on the road to Damascus, when he met Jesus, everything turned around. Everything changed. And the way that Paul saw his life and all the things that he gloried in, all of a sudden he said, those things seemed like rubbish. Those things seemed like trash in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus as Lord. To Paul, it was not a loss at all when he considered everything that he gained when he laid his life down for Jesus. Discipleship has a cost. And dear brothers and sisters, it's always worth it. It's always worth it to give our lives away for Jesus. I think about the parable, or not the parable, but the event in which the rich young ruler approached Jesus. You remember that story from Mark chapter 10. There was a rich young ruler who approached Jesus and wondered what to do to get eternal life. Jesus had this conversation with him about keeping the commandments. He said he had. And Jesus said, well, go and sell everything you own and then come follow me. Why did Jesus tell him that? Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew that his God was his riches, his God was his wealth. And he knew that as long as this man put his hope and his importance and his notoriety and his self-worth in his wealth, that he would never put it in Jesus. He knew as long as this man's wealth sat on the throne of his heart, Jesus would never sit on the throne of his heart. And so he called this man to do what he was not willing to do. The scripture says that the man went away sad because he was very wealthy. There was a cost to discipleship. Jesus tells us to count the cost. That man counted the cost and he didn't think it was worth it. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, he was eternally wrong. 
It is always worth it to turn away from our sin, to turn away from control of our own lives, and to live a, day, a daily life of daily dying to self and living to Jesus, with Jesus living in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, A.W. Tozer said it this way. A.W. Tozer writes about what is it like to live the crucified life? What is it like to be a disciple who counts the cost and lives this kind of life? He says, here's, here's three things that someone who is crucified does. A crucified man is only looking one way. A crucified man can't turn around. A crucified man can't look backward. He's only looking one way. And in the same way, when we die to self and we begin to follow Jesus, we're only looking one way. There's no looking back. There's no looking to the side. We're looking at Jesus by faith. Second thing Tozer says about a crucified man is he's never going back. When a man carried his cross to the place of execution, he wasn't going home any longer. He was never going back. He was turning his back on everything that ever, had it ever been a part of his life to go to that cross. And in the same way, you and I, as we bear our cross, we don't go back. We don't go back to that old life. We don't go back to what we used to value and love. We have a new life now in Jesus. Tozer said as well, a crucified man has no more plans of his own. It'd be very odd, wouldn't it, to visit a man who was about to be crucified you start having a conversation with him, and he said, boy, the stock market's rough right now. I wonder how my 401k is doing. That would be an odd conversation indeed, wouldn't it? You'd be thinking to yourself, what's this man talking about? He's hours away from death. What's he talking about his 401k? That's money he'll never see. He'll never spend. He's about to go die. In the same way for you and me, when we take up our cross daily, we have no more plans of our own. Our future is in God's hands. We take our lives like a blank check and lay it on the table and say, God, you fill it out. Whatever you have for me, whatever it looks like for me to follow you, Lord, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do it. Here's my life. Here it is for you. Discipleship always comes with a cost, and it's always worth it. But I want you to see from this morning's passage as well that comparison comes with a cost. Discipleship comes with a cost. It's always worth it. But comparison comes with a cost too. And I'm here to tell you it's never worth it. It's never worth it. Too many of us spend our lives so distracted by what God is or isn't doing in someone else's life that we miss out on what Jesus wants for us. It's like distracted driving, isn't it? Oh, distracted driving. It'll drive you insane, won't it? In the past few days... I have sat through a light being red and then green and then red again because the person in front of me was looking at their cell phone. The person in front of me uh, was not looking at what they should have been looking at, the stoplight. They were looking at their cell phone and they didn't go. But you see, as my wife will tell you, I have the spiritual gift of honking horns. And so uh, I, gave a little, I gave a little toot, and uh, the person went on. It wasn't a mean longhorn, don't worry, it was just a, a little toot. Uh, but people, they, they drive distracted, don't they? Uh, we, we are riding down the road and we want a different song, so we look it down at our phone on the Bluetooth and change it to a different song. We just got french fries from Arby's, and we're trying to open the ketchup packet. Uh, for those of you who are young parents, you know the nightmare that is the kids in the back seat losing their minds. 
You know, they're throwing a fit because they lost their pacifier or they're fighting with each other. And so you got one hand on the wheel and the other hand trying to find a pacifier or the other hand swatting somebody's leg and you're, you know, you're about to run off the road. You're a menace. <laughs> you're a menace to yourself, the people in your car and to the people around you because you're distracted. You're not looking where you're supposed to look at the road. And how many of us do that spiritually? How many of us are so distracted by what's going on somewhere else, by what God's doing in someone else's life, and worrying about God's blessings for them, or whatever it may be, that we're, our eyes aren't focused on Jesus, and we've run off the road, we've gotten off the path, we're not honoring God with our lives, because we're so preoccupied with someone else. When we do that, we play God. God, why did you give this individual what I wanted? God, why are you working in that person's life in this way? God, you should have done this. You should have given me this. We become so worried with what we have gotten or haven't gotten that we forget that we are in God's hands, the other person is in God's hands, and we don't need to worry about that. We don't need to worry about what it is God has in store for them or how God's working in their life. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Discipleship always comes with a cost, and it's always worth it. Comparison comes with a cost, too, and it's never worth it. And that's what Peter was doing. He was comparing himself, wasn't he? There they were walking on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has just told him that he's going to die for him one day. He's going to stretch out his hands. He's going to be crucified, and then he tells him to follow me. And Peter says, sure, Jesus, I'm all in. No, he doesn't, does he? The very first thing he does as he's walking is he turns around and he looks back at John and he says, but Jesus, what about him? Peter's so concerned. If I gotta give my life for you, what about John? Will he have to give his life for you as well? That doesn't seem fair if he doesn't. What are you gonna do with John? Is John, is James, are these guys gonna have to go through the same thing I'm gonna have to go through? But what about John? And I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but I can almost hear Jesus just saying to him, what about him? It's not your concern. If I want him to remain until I return again, what's that to you? I've got a plan for John, but it's not your plan. I've got a plan for you. What about him? And then the, the, the gospel doesn't tell us this, but I can almost see him point his finger into his chest because he does say, you follow me, All right? Keep your eyes on me. Don't worry about John. If I want him to remain till I come back, that's my business, not yours. You follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Don't look back. Look forward. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. You follow Jesus. The lang original language here is emphatic. It's almost like he's just emphasizing that very loudly. You follow Jesus. I'll take care of John. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Clearly, Jesus isn't walking here among us physically. He's ascended. He's in heaven. But we see from the New Testament how the people of God followed Jesus. Well, while Jesus was here, they fished for men. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. When we follow Jesus, we are concerned about the lives of others. We're concerned about their eternity. 
Our hearts are compassionate toward them. We want them to know that they too can be saved and receive eternal life if they'll repent and put their faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And so we cast the net. We fish for people just as Jesus did because that's what Jesus did. We're following him. We're telling others the good news of Jesus Christ. What else did those early disciples do? You read the book of Acts? They did what we're doing here today. They gathered on the Lord's day to pray together, to worship, to hear the teaching of the apostles, to hear the teaching of the Old Testament, the scriptures. They gave so that those who were in need might have their needs met. They broke bread and took the cup together and observed the Lord's Supper. They prayed for one another. They helped one another. They were the church gathered. You see, when we follow Jesus, we don't follow him alone. We follow him together as the people of God, as the church of God. When we follow Jesus, what did Jesus do? He was obedient to the Father, and so must we be. Just as Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father, when we follow him, we are ultimately concerned about being obedient to him. As we live this crucified life, our concern is not following our own will or doing things our way, but learning from the scriptures, Jesus, how do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? How can I obey your commands? And then we obey them by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit. And ultimately, to follow Jesus is to live a life of love, sacrificial love. What did Jesus do? He died for you and me so that we could be saved. And that's what he's called us to do. He says, no greater love has a man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And so we don't just do that or we're not just willing to do that literally, but spiritually and figuratively every day we lay our lives down for others. As we follow Jesus, we care for others. We go the second mile in serving them, in meeting their needs, and in teaching them, and helping them, and pointing them to Jesus. Pastor Steve Cole said it this way, he summed it up this way. To follow Jesus means bowing before him as the rightful Lord of all that you are and have. It means seeking his will for the direction of your life, and submitting to that will even before you know what it will be. And it means prompt obedience to his commands. If we yield our lives to Jesus as Lord, seek his will for how we will spend our lives, and develop the habit of daily obedience to his word, we'll be prepared for death when and however it comes. Do you notice the setting of today's passage? It's at the Sea of Galilee. We're here at the end of Jesus' ministry. He's told Peter, this is how your life's going to end. And he says, follow me. That must have seemed very familiar to Peter because if you go back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when you read the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus looked at James and John and Peter and Andrew, those men who were fishing there, fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, and what words did he say to them there at the beginning of his ministry? Follow me. Yeah, follow me. We've come full circle here. Three years later, in the very same place, Jesus looks Peter in the eyes again and says, follow me. Peter gets another chance. I wonder how many of us started out well. We heard the good news of Jesus Christ. We knew we couldn't be saved by our own efforts. It had to be by faith in him and what he did for us. 
And so we put our faith in him and we began to follow Jesus. But somewhere along the way, we've done some distracted driving. We've taken our eyes off the road. We've taken our eyes off of Jesus. We've begun to play the comparison game. We've become to be so preoccupied with what God is or isn't doing in someone else's life that we've begun to miss out on what Jesus wants to do in our life. My path isn't Dodie's path or Patsy's path or Greg's path. It's my path and theirs isn't mine. We're all called to follow Jesus, but it's going to look different for each of us. And while we're to serve and love one another, our preoccupation ought not to be with what God is or isn't doing with the person beside us, but what does he want to do with us? If you're here today and you're a Christ follower and you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, can I, like Jesus, just kind of put a finger to your chest today and say, you follow Jesus. Quit playing that comparison game. Come back to him and put your focus on him once again. Maybe you've never followed Jesus. Maybe you've never counted the cost and found it worth it. Maybe you look at what you've got in your life, your pride, your wealth, your prestige, your position, your accomplishments, and you realize all of that's ultimately empty. None of that's gonna do you any good when you die, and you say, I just need to leave that at the feet of Jesus. I need to die to self so that I can receive the life he wants to give me and follow him. Whatever you need to do today, won't you do it? Won't you come to Jesus? Won't you follow him? Let's stand quietly together and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation in Christ. We thank you for the privilege of following you, Lord Jesus. Some of us have begun to play the comparison game. We've gotten distracted. We haven't kept our eyes on you, Jesus. Forgive us today. We come asking your forgiveness and asking you to help us, to restore us, that we may live a life of faith, a life of obedience, a life of sacrifice, of giving ourselves daily, laying down our lives daily so that we may follow you. Lord, I pray for every man and woman and child in here today who needs to come back to you, who needs to lay all those distractions and all those comparison games to the side. Lord, draw them back to you today. Lord, for anyone who doesn't know you, I pray that you'd move in their hearts now and that they'd be saved. Lord, will you work mightily in our midst this morning? Will you draw us to you? We trust in you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.